Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer, co-host, engineer, Chris Morales. You in the house today? Sure am. Excited for the show's topic and for our guest. Okay. 646-564-9909 is the number. 646-564-9909 is the number. If you want to call in and speak to us or our guest today, if you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our website, ocgworks.org. That's O-C-G-W-O-R-K-S dot O-R-G. Then click on the OCG Radio Live button, or you can also go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. You don't have to call in on the call-in line to listen to the show unless that's your only means, and by all means, make it happen. Do it. Absolutely. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, absolutely not wearing not wearing any green. By the way, I don't know if you are or not, but I'm certainly not. No, but thinking about uh, the Monsignor, okay, Joe Hannon, okay, and, okay, and others who are of Irish descent. You know about the legend of Saint Patrick chasing all the snakes out of Ireland? You heard you heard about that legend? Never heard of it. That's the legend about the day. Uh, it was actually the frigid winters back in the day that drove the snakes out, but they attribute it to the mystical powers of Saint Patrick. All I all I remember is you know, growing up in New York is the St. Patrick's Day parade and a whole lot of nonsense, oh, right. non, nonsense and carrying on going on. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> and and the police being heavily involved. Sure, I can see that. 
Um, we're going to go a little bit out of order. Uh, we're going to do our uh, happy recap in the second uh, segment and start with our personal story segment. We've got a special guest um, today, um, Paris Barnes. Those of you who have been listening uh, from day one might remember him from our uh, Daytop um, special third edition. He uh, called in as a surprise guest. But we're bringing him on today as uh, our second participant in our personal story segment. Mr. Barnes, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you doing, Orville? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? I'm just fine. Just fine. Good to hear your and voice. Thank you. Same here. And and what is the weather down there in lovely Orlando? Well, we are looking at about... 78 to about 82 degrees, Orville. <laughs> <laughs> well All right, what are, what are we out here, Chris? We're about uh, 60, uh, six, we're 68. 68, yeah, okay. just about. We're 68 and balmy. You're 78 and balmy. Up in New York, I think they're still at uh, balmy 7 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> 7 or 8. <laughs> so apologies to my Northeast, my northeast folks. No Spring problem. is coming. All right, Mr. Barnes, a uh, couple of things. First, and we'll, actually, we'll deal with this at the end. We we, we, we want you. We don't want to put you, because you're on the clock. Tampa Bay is on the clock. But we'll talk about that later. So in the personal story segment, uh, we want to learn a little about your story, sir. Uh, what brought you, first, what brought you to New York? How did you hook up with JTOP all the way from, were you originally from Tampa or Orlando? I'm originally from Tampa, Florida, Orville. That's what I thought. So how how did this all happen that you ended up in Far Rockaway, Queens, in the entry unit? I walk in and see you, this guy, Horace Barnes. You finally get a chance to find out. Huh? Well, yep. let me go back. I was brought out of prison. As, um, as I recall, Orville, and you probably remember now, and once I mention it, I was taken out of Florida State Prison. Mm -hmm. uh, Back then, it was in the state of Florida. There was going, there was a trial thing. They was trying to try this program. uh, At the time that uh, I was incarcerated, they was trying to uh, uh, try a program of taking incarcerated individuals with drug and uh, drug problem and alcohol problem and rejudicating them and and see if putting them in a program while incarcerated would work. Just so happened my mother, which God bless that she's deceased now, she was a city councilman at the time, and she was at a workshop, and she was sitting around some prominent people that had a lot of influence. And the table that she was sitting at just so happened they were discussing about daytop and, and what was going on because it wasn't no kind of programs down here in the state of Florida of that magnitude, but she was like being nosy listening, and these people was up affluence, and the reason why they were just talking about that because a couple of people at the table, kids was having a drug problem, and they was going to use them to uh, go into the program, and that get my, that gave my mother the opportunity to, 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 to mention me, you know, because I was incarcerated up in Florida State Prison, on already on an 18-year bid 
make mm-hmm. a bad decision, you know. So it just so happened, uh, three guys that was uh, uh, from Daytop Family Association that came up to, to interview me while I was incarcerated because I had made some bad decisions back then. I had mm-hmm. a serious drug problem, and I was in and out of jail. And uh, uh, when I finally got sentenced on, on seven counts of possession, sales, and delivery, and failure to appear, I was, like, very responsible, wouldn't, go, wouldn't show up to court, whatever, but I was sentenced to 18 years over. Just so happened, I got uh, re- I was selected. I got rejudicated. My sentence got rejudicated, and I was court-ordered to go to Daytop Village Incorporated. Now, let me remind you, the people that came to interview me sold me the Brooklyn Bridge. And what I meant by that was, <laughs> what I meant by that was, they knew if they told me exactly what Daytop was about, I wouldn't go. But mm-hmm. they had me thinking I was going to a resort and where mm-hmm. you go horseback riding and, 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 and riding water rapids on canoes. And, you know and we water. used to do that to people. Right, but I but 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 I was blind to it. I I I didn't know what was going on. I actually believed that's what I was going to. Mm-hmm. So when I when I when I showed up at Fort Rockaway, I was blown away. I'm like when I when I ran into you and met you for the first time, I was still going through that phase of shell shock. I could not believe where I was, mm-hmm. you know, and I knew then that they had got me. But did, but I knew I didn't want to go back to prison. I right. knew this, I knew that the place that they sent me wasn't what they was talking about, but it was better than where I had just left, right. uh, Florida State Prison. You know, and, uh, and, and make it, but when I first met you, when I first saw you, matter of fact, remember back, when I first got to Fort Rockaway, when I got to New York over, Number one, I was very, I was afraid, I was scared to death, you know. I was strictly imaged. Imaged out, I, I, I draw only on everything that I learned how to survive when I was in prison. You know, mm-hmm. all image, you know, no hardest bonds at all. And I was very intimidated because I knew I was going to New York around people that what we call spoke proper English, and I had this southern accent, you know. So when it was a lot, I felt very inadequate and insecure when I was there. But just so happened, I ran into a couple of guys. One was based Basil Francis, and the other guy was you. Mm-hmm. And you, you didn't notice I was watching you all the while. Every time you came around, I was watching you because there were some things about you that I wanted to incorporate in me. Because I didn't have I didn't have nothing but a prison image, you know. I was mm-hmm. angry, I was mad, you know, and I was in total denial. But here come this tall, smooth, suave, quiet, passive talking guy, talked very intellectual, and I ran into this guy named Orville Roach, and he talked very smooth and intellectual. And he came across to me like he was a Professor, and uh, and when I first met you, man, and I had a first time I talked with you, I was impressed with you, and you had some of the attributes that I wanted, you know, and Baza had some things that I wanted too, 
But that what really got me to uh, to uh, Far Rockaway. I was taken out of prison, and I was rejudicated and sentenced to three years to treatment at uh, right. Bayside Village Incorporated. All right, so you're 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 in Far Rockaway, and uh, eventually you get the tap on the shoulder. I, I think the way they used to do it was the night before they would let you know, okay, you're getting rotated up, and you were told that you were going up to the lake. That was one of the scariest moments ever. Was when they finally came to because I had just starting to get used to being at Far Rockaway. You yep. know, I was that that comfortability starts seeking in. You know, mm-hmm. I had just I had just learned the philosophy. You know, I was just learning how to survive and stay out of trouble. What's what to do and what not to do around around Far Rockaway. And right. soon I'm just getting to that point. I get that tap on the shoulder, pack your stuff. You're moving out. You're going upstate in the first thing in the uh, in the morning, and I was scared to death because I didn't know what to expect. Here we go again. I was scared to death on the plane on my way to New York, and finally when I finally started getting comfortable again, here I go again, going to the unknown. And when I was on that van, man, on that van going upstate New York, you you couldn't imagine the things that was going through my mind. But strangely enough, the closer I got to Swan Lake, the more afraid I was because for some reason the the aura the the atmosphere in that van you you can tell the closer we got to Swan Lake, we was getting down to business because everybody in the van was getting scared, sweating and everything. So I knew something serious was about to take place. And I now, and if, I I knew I wasn't going to no resort. I knew it I, wasn't I knew it was time it was business. Yeah. But, now uh, if I'm not mistaken, Horace, if I'm not mistaken, they purposely usually they would leave Far Rockaway at about five o'clock in the evening so that when they arrived upstate it was dark. Exactly. So you wouldn't you wouldn't really see the whole lay of the land. You would just pull up to this house that's you know lit up a little bit, but you didn't know. You really didn't see anything at that night when you arrived, so you didn't know what was really going on in terms of when you got there. You just walk into I, this 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 house. Right, I walk into. I mean, I was expecting to sightsee. I was expecting when I left Far Rockaway over. I actually thought I was getting a chance to see New York, see the scenery, <laughs> and. And sightsee. I mean, everything that I imagined and I thought didn't take place. You know, <laughs> once we once we got once we got across the Hudson River, it was dark. I couldn't see nothing. Didn't know where I was going. And 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 about a, about a couple of hours later, I pull up to this two story, three story wooden house sitting on the side of the lake with people waiting waiting on me and I'm like it was it was like hello Mhm It was like I knew then when I when I noticed when I saw people standing out there waiting on us now for that for that moment for that quick moment I felt 
special. I almost bought the pair for the banana and the tailpipe. What I meant by that was when I saw people out there waiting on us, I thought, oh, it's for real. This, I thought they was ushers of Valley Parkers or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but, 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 uh, but, but I didn't imagine soon as we pull up and the band and the band doors open, I knew after the first person spoke to us, I knew what I was in for. Because the first thing they said was, get off the van, put your bags down, and stand up till, we, till somebody call you. I'm like, oh, this don't sound right. Uh, <laughs> this is not no resort, you know. It's not, it reminded me It reminded me of the first processing station that I went through and get going into prison. It, mm-hmm. it reminds me of all of that, Orville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you arrive at night. You go through your initial interview. What was that like? Man, why are you doing that, Orville? The most. I never forget my interview. I never, ever, ever forget my interview because, matter of fact, I got I got thrown out. I got thrown out of my interview three times. I was right. put. I was, I was sent back to the prospect chair three times, two times, and I went back in the third time. The reason why I got put out of there the first two times because you know, you know, you done been through it. I was strictly closed, all image, you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, wasn't cooperating at all. But I didn't know. I didn't really look at my situation. My situation mm-hmm. wasn't like the as the average person that rode up on that van. The average person that rode up on that van, they could have easily just told them, get back in the van, they're taking you back to New York and drop you off. You don't right. want no you don't want no help. My situation was different. Mm-hmm. I didn't have nowhere to go. You know. I was up there in New York being closed, be acting stubborn and wasn't looking at my situation until the second time until the third time Eddie Hill was in the the third time Eddie Hill was sitting in my interview, and mm-hmm. he came clean. He told me, "Say, listen, this is your last shot, sir." He said, "If you don't cooperate this time, we're not going to drop you off downtown New York. We're going to drop you off the LaGuardia Airport. If you don't have a plane ticket to get back on, you're in a lot of trouble." And reality hit me. I thought about mm-hmm. that. I thought about you know what. I got to stop playing around because this man, number one, you know how God bless the dead. You know how Eddie Hill was. I knew right yep. off the bat. I knew right off the bat this man ain't playing, you know. For some reason, his spirit hit my feet. Now, this man here is not playing. He was, he, he, he made a believe out of me. I actually believed that he was telling the truth. He was getting ready to take me back to Guali Airport and drop me off when I was on my own. And I got real, man. I got real. Mm-hmm. He he came in the back door on me, and what I meant by that was he broke me down, man. That mm-hmm. was the first person that 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 had the ability to transform my image down to a teddy bear. He broke me down. Mm-hmm. I was in that sound like a baby in about an hour. You know, mm-hmm. he broke me down. You know, and I so you go huh? you go you go through the initial interview. They finally, they finally break you. I got my hands up in quotes because at the time, 
you know, we, we feel like we've been broken, but, but in reality, all, all they've done to us is, <clears throat> you know, let you know, look, put your image down, drop all that, drop all that, you know, stuff, because ain't nobody going to hurt you here. Exactly. Exactly. So, you go through that, next morning, this is very important. Mr. Producer, next morning you wake up to bright sunshine, six o'clock in the morning. We're already used to that. It's from from entry unit waking up at six in the morning. But you step out of the men's dorm, and this is the first time you get to see where you actually are and what it actually looks like. What was what was that like? I knew when I stepped out of that dorm. I knew a rude awakening because I knew I was involved in something serious because mm-hmm. it was a nice big facility. Mm-hmm. They had dorms. I see. I saw. I was looking at people walking around, walking the sidewalks a certain way. You know, making sure their rooms was tight. I'm talking about mm-hmm. everything. I was noticing how people was carrying themselves. That there was something strange about this place. And it wasn't like prison, you know, but I knew whatever was going on, these people had everybody in line. And they were mm-hmm. they were acting like that for a reason. And I mm-hmm. knew I knew I didn't I didn't know who was doing it, but I knew I better start acting like them. Whatever they mm-hmm. doing, I need to start doing because they acting like that for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I was looking around and I saw I when I first Woke up the first day over and took a first look at Swan Lake. I knew I was involved with something serious because it was mm-hmm. a big problem. And I had never, that was my second time in treatment, and I had never been in a treatment facility that big, you know, mm-hmm. of that magnitude. Anytime I went in, the, in a facility, it was maybe about 30, 40, 18. Big mm-hmm. problem sitting over on the side of the lake, so I knew it was some serious business. Yeah. All right. So after a couple of weeks, maybe three, who knows, I I eventually wormed my way up to Swan Lake. And so finally the crew is complete. Everybody's up there. And uh, the peer group, the peer group kind of gels together. Uh, and we're we're now as a unit, you know, going through this process of this figuring out what this what this uh this treatment thing is about. Oh, by the way, and and, and we were in a tight house. Yeah. We were That's in a tight house. I, if you if you can remember if, and just now I'm flashing back I can remember that really when we went into that tight house that really, that little group that we had formed, and you remember all the guys, that tight, being in that tight house really brought us together as a group. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, we had we had our idea because going into that tight house, we have started forming, you know, get everybody was starting to find their place, you know. And, you know, and, and I was at that time... <clears throat> At that time, we were going, <clears throat> getting ready to go into a tight house. Around the time we went into the tight house, I knew then 
as I'm speaking personally, I knew then that I wanted to recover, and I knew I wanted to work. I wanted to do that program right. I mm-hmm. knew I wanted to complete that program, and I knew I was willing to do whatever it takes to complete that program. So I start looking around at people that was walking the walk and doing what they had to do. And the first the first group of people that I started looking and drawing towards was my peer. I started right. looking at, I started dissecting my peer and started looking at the ones that was walking the walk or talking that bull crap. And mm-hmm. the people that I started noticing was you, Hector Velez, you know, uh, uh, Basil, you know, a few others, you know, that mm-hmm. I knew that was serious. And I knew I knew y'all was serious because we used to clash with each other in encounter groups, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, uh, but I knew that I knew the group of guys that I knew that I needed to bond with if I was going to make it, you know. And I knew I couldn't make it on my own, so I knew I needed to find a group of guys that I need to embrace, you know, in order to make it work. All right, so we we somehow we somehow survived this tight house, uh, which which we had nothing to do with causing, of course. Uh, where the group is a little pissed off because of that, but you know, it, like you said, it kind of brought the group together, and then we decided to uh, actually become mercenaries and uh, and start honing in on who the bad apples were and, and rooting them out. Um, but the tight house is over. Eddie Hill's in charge. Uh, things are, uh, you know, the, the facility's now running smooth. And for some reason, and I was thinking about this last night, I don't know how, how, how this happened, how we were able to get permissions for this, but all I remember is you and I ending up in the gym playing one-on-one basketball almost every day. I don't remember you know, the time of the day. I just remember it happening. You know, you know what happened. I, I remind you. I, let me remind you what had happened. What had happened was it was during that time where they they. Uh, I think what had happened was I was acting a certain way around the facility that I was intimidating people. Because mm-hmm. I, I can re- to remind you that when I first got there, I was during that time that we just came out the tight house, I still had that prison image with me. But mm-hmm. I had stopped getting in trouble as much as I was. And what they noticed was because I went into a, I went into a staffing, I went into a, a, a group, a group, a, a concern group. You remember how we used to have groups? And I went into a group and it was for concern. And they were mm-hmm. trying to find out who was I'm, who who the, who was the people that I was bonding with or getting close to are trusted and come and and you was the first person that I mentioned you know I mentioned Maureen remember Maureen Maureen Market she facilitated yeah. who she wanted yep. Maureen you know Maureen wanted to know who was the uh, the people around the who was the person around that facility that I trusted more than anybody and. You was the one that you was the one that I came up with. So she decided. She said, "Was what I needed to do was go to the gym, find something to do into the in the gym, get my head together, 
to I decide and stay in the gym, find something to do in the gym to I decide I'm ready to work the program. So you didn't know they brought you over there to assist me and keep your eye on me and to make sure that I do something, either work out like the court in the gym, and that's how me and you ended up playing one on one with each other. You know. All right. So so let me let me add a little bit, a little flavor to this part of the story, because not only are we were playing one on one, Mr. Producer, but uh, Horace was a, a workout maniac. So are you about to tell me he took you into the low post and worked no, 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 you like no, no, a part-time no, no, no. job? Before that even happened, even from when we were in entry, and and he took some of his knowledge of how to use various things to exercise without having, you know, exercise equipment. So putting chairs together. Sure. I'm sure you remember this, Horace, in the room at entry. You know, yep. and, and 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 basically being your personal trainer and telling you when you were done in terms of whatever exercise we were doing. Okay. So it was not only the basketball, it was the working out, it was the this and that. But then, of course, more importantly, on the basketball court, the numer- we're built very differently. I'm tall and slender. He's well, how tall are you, Horace? I'm about five ten and a half. Okay, he's about five ten, and let's say. At least back then, one one ninety. Yeah, one hundred. Yeah, about about two hundred to be exact. Yeah. Okay, so he was built, built solid. Okay, and uh, working me over in the low post, backing me down like Charles Barkley That's on right. one end, and then and then when I had the ball, I mean just. Uh, physically abusing me, <laughs> but in a good way because, like I said before, when we talked prepared me for the you know for the abuse in the that's low right, post. That's right. So we're in the gym, he's in the gym, uh physically working out, you know, and getting that negative energy out, um, he and I bonding in terms of playing ball and talking and, and, and whatnot. Um what whether it's serious talking, which there was, trash talking, which there was, you know, everything from A to Z. Um now at some point, you know, I went into the staff training program you continued on with your with your treatment, focusing on your treatment. Um, how how much longer did you stay up at the lake before you then went 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 back to Florida? I, uh, you know, I ended up, you know, because once you went once you uh, was selected as an intern and you became a counselor, immediately I decided that's what I wanted to do because mm-hmm. that I always mimicked you. If you can do it, I can do it too. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. You know, I set my sight on. I set my sight on after after you after you completed that and became a counselor. I was so proud of you. I decided then that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be, do the same thing, and I did everything it took for that to happen. I eventually and I and that ended up happening. I, 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 about two internships later. I was selected for internship and went over to Parksville, went through internship and made it as a counselor. And that's when we opened up Cap and Z down right. down right. So uh, I worked down there. I worked down there for about eight eight and a half to about nine months, and mm-hmm. made the the, the 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 biggest wrong decision I ever made in my life. During that time, I was I was lonely. You don't have no family around. 
you know, had been clean for a while, and and my personal guilt with my kids started kicking up, and I let my mind overdo me, and I, I decided I wanted to be close with my kids. Mm-hmm. I had the, I had the mind frame not thinking that when I became a counselor, I was grandfathered in, so I thought that I can take my same experience, go back to Florida, work as work in substance abuse and be productive and take care of my kids. But that wasn't the case when I got to Florida. Because if you don't have license and a degree, you're not gonna work in the substance abuse field in Florida. So that's what mm-hmm. happened to me. So what happened from there? You went back to Florida, found out that you couldn't do what you were trained to do up in New York. What happened uh, next? I uh, fell off the wagon. Got the, uh, I, uh, uh, didn't deal with that disappointment the right way. You know, mm-hmm. fell off the wagon, struggled for a couple of years. You know, got myself back together, and 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 went through did various jobs. Other than what I what I had the passion to do, it right. wasn't until it wasn't until about what, about six seven six seven eight years ago I started I started tasting the blood, you know, starting to get that feeling back up, you know, because I got that humanitarian spirit. Right, I, right. I knew I was missing something, and was what I was missing was back into that back into that work field, you know, and I knew that's what I I knew. That was that I was destined to do. That that was me, you know, working into substance abuse somewhere down the line. And no matter what it was, I knew I had to be doing something like that, giving back in a humanitarian area. I knew I had to be. That that was that's what I had the passion to do, you know. I I went through various jobs, but nothing was wasn't better than that, you know. I right. knew I I knew then I knew that wasn't the type of job that I would. I would end up financially rich, right? But spiritually, spiritually rich, you know, mm-hmm. it's quite. You know, when you're doing that work and you and and you and you and and you're doing good and you get some good outcome, it's priceless. You know it. You you know what I'm talking about. It's priceless. Yep. yep. You, know, you know, it's like I always say. It's like a. It's like the American Express commercial. You know, it's priceless. <laughs> you know. And I wanted that back. As we talk, as we talk now, I'm getting ready to start school this month. On this month, on the 23rd, going for my bachelor's degree because I want my CAP license. You know. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to go to Columbia Columbia College online for my bachelor's degree. You know, so because that's what I want to do. That's what I'm. That's what I need to be doing. That's what I love to do. And we know that you would be, uh, you you were, and you will be, and continue to be fantastic at it. Um, but not, you know, but not cutting you off. Know, I I formed uh, uh when I was working at Tappan Z. You know what nickname they used to call me over when I was counseling at Tappan Z? They used to call me Sergeant Barnes because I was <laughs> one I was one dimensional. You know, I was mm-hmm. rough, stern. And only believe mm-hmm. in being real stern and rigid. But over mm-hmm. the years, over the years, I have found out that though just that way don't cut it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
I done found out how to be more flexible and how to reach people. You know, just being stern all the time don't necessarily reach a person. You know what I'm saying? So I got a little, I got a little more experience with it now. You know, okay. I got a, you know, you know, as we talking, as we talk, as I'm talking to you right now, my sponsor is sitting with me. You know, and uh, and uh, I got, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm connected with some good people. You know, I got a good network of people in my life that's I'm learned that that's helping me to continue to grow. You know what I'm saying? And 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 that's what I needed. You know. I'm going to always continue to grow, you know what I'm saying? But uh, it's a wonderful thing. I've got a saying that I always say now. You've probably seen me take you. It's a beautiful thing, man, you know. I yep. just, you know, it's a beautiful thing, you know. Just well, sitting before, I was going to say, all right, before we let you go, there's no way, there's no way we cannot talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Before we talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, there's something I always want to tell you. You remember when we, you remember when we used to go head to head in the gym? We skipped Mm -hmm. over something. When we used to bump heads and go one on one in the gym, there was Mm -hmm. something about you that attracted me. And when we first started, I I had the wrong perception of you. I thought I was going to be able to bully you and push you around and do what I want to do with you because you were so smooth and suave. But you know what you showed me? Show me you got heart, man. You know, you showed me that you have heart. It didn't matter what I brought to you, you dished it out, you know. You took it and you dished it out, and that would shock me. That what really made that what really made you, I got attracted to you. I liked it how smooth you were. And you had heart, you know. You was you was More. a stand up guy. You have you was a stand up guy, and you was very compassionate. You know, you taught me a lot of stuff. You was the one that really helped me start working the program because I really was closed. But you taught me. You, you gave me some good advice, and I took and everything that you told me in that gym, I took it in in, in, in strong consideration, and. My program just took off to the races, man. And I want to tell you, thank you for that, man. Well, you're very welcome, and you're also giving me way too much credit. Don't forget, you're part of that story. But the the the, the most important thing you said to me is that I didn't whine when you was beating me up. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was gonna ask. Is that what you mean by heart? That he could just take a beating? That, okay, that's all right. It was no whining and complaining. I just took it. <laughs> All right, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Y'all are on the clock. Well, now about my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How about Jameis Winston? First round draft, first pick in the draft. We're going to be all right, you know. I I agree. My my producer is shaking his head. My producer is shaking his head no, but I agree 100% that Jameis Winston should be your pick and y'all should build from there. Being that being that y'all are located in California, nine times out of ten your producer probably think that quarterback from Oregon should be the one they pick. He wrong. Oh, you know, Marcus Mariota. Now I'm not. No. I'm just not a big fan of the mobile quarterback in general. None of them. Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston reminds me of Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. 
Rosenberg. Yeah, big, big, strong in the pocket. Yep. Uh, He reminds me of Jamarcus Russell. I I knew that was coming. Did you hear that, Horace? Yeah, because he he thinks he thinks Jameis Winston gonna be a bust like Jamarcus Russell was in Oakland. Absolutely not. No, Jameis Winston is very intelligent and he's very athletic. You know what I'm saying? Yep. That, and he know that pro set, you know. The Florida State Seminoles run the pro set, and That's he's true. ready, you know. Trust me, if we pick him in the draft, look out for the Buccaneers, man. Look out for my Bucks. I like it. All right, sir. I appreciate it very much. You willing to come on and 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 share your story and 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 some of the untold story of Horace Barnes and and the success that he is. Um, I'm proud of you, man. I'm just uh, I'm glad, and of course, uh, I'm very grateful to to Basil of of getting us back in contact with each other, and uh, your you know, let the audience know that you were the best man at my wedding. And, oh, then, uh, and there yeah. was a 24-year gap that we lost contact. So okay. is this guy sitting in this picture? This guy sitting in this picture, you know, in the living room. And uh, who's that? He's the best man at our wedding. What's what's his name? Where is he? I'm, his name is Horace. Where is he? I have no idea. <laughs> now the questions have been answered and the contact has been reestablished, and uh, it will continue. We will be back in touch with you, sir. Uh, we love your input. It's real. And uh, thank you very much for uh, being willing to join us today. Anytime, Orville. Anytime, man. And y'all doing a great job, man. I love that talk show. You're doing an awesome job, man. Keep it up. Thank you. And, thank uh, you so much. Keep listening. I will. I will. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, all right, so that was Horace Barnes on our personal story segment, which we're going to try and bring at least once a month, if not two, uh, some personal stories uh, of success and recovery and also maybe uh, professional um, success in the recovery field. Um, So... Let's go to a uh, quick break, and then we'll uh, start with our do a, ha- a quick recap. A happy recap. And then I'll move right into our topic. I know we're sh- short on time, but we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. Sounds good. You hear that? What you won't do, you do for love. You'll try anything, but you won't give up. That's the attitude you need to have in recovery. You've got to love or learn to love yourself first. 
You've got to be willing to try anything that will help you succeed. And most importantly, you can never give up. Visit us at ocgworks.org. OCG, where hope grows. What you won't do to do for love. You try everything, but you don't give up. All right, welcome back to Roach on Recovery. Happy recap. What do we got? Let's run it down. Let's run it down. What are we working with? All right, uh, we had a caller last week, and we didn't address one of the concerns you'd raised about what people may think about him after sharing some of his traumatic experiences. Sure. And one of the things we just want to touch on quickly about that is that when you share uh, with other people, regardless of who they are, traumatic things that you've experienced, things that you've held, didn't air and dare, dark secrets, if you will, you become free. Burden, yeah, burden kind of lifted. Yes. Yeah. You become free of it. It's no longer your burden, no longer yours to carry. And... um. Suffer them to share my secrets exactly. if I will. There you go, exactly. And there's a re- there's a reason to every line, there's a meaning to every line in that philosophy. Oh, yeah. And so there's no more concern for what other people may think because the, the whatever it is that you had, you've thrown out there to the universe and it, it doesn't it's not affecting you anymore. So That's what right. they do with it, what they think of it is irrelevant to you. That's the the thought process that you must have. That's right. And if you don't have it, you act as if you have it. Sure. Until it's internalized. Now, this isn't the second item. This isn't addressing anything specific from a a previous show, but I just want to speak to something I've been noticing in a number of online recovery forums. Okay. Um, Are we going (laughs) Full disclosure or uh, well, complete uh No, I'm not going to name any names. Okay. I'm just saying there's a number of forums that I, you know, listen in sure. on okay. or, or read, you know, comments on, et cetera. But uh, I don't like their attitude. Attitude or outlook? Attitude. Okay. It's uh, dismiss- dismissive of other opinions. Um, it's almost cultish in terms of, well, if, if you're not about our way, you know, then hit you know the highway. we're going to censor your comments on, you know, on the forum and things of that nature. I was like, oh, wow, okay, well, know, what, okay. what's that about? What's behind that? You know, you know, I, I know we got freedom of speech, but just theoretically, I mean, sure. you should be open to all comments and, and all thoughts and be able to discern what, what's, you know, what you can take and what you Leave on the side. Right. You know, and when you start to uh, say, well, since that kind of thinking doesn't fall in line with our dogma, we don't want that on here. That, to me, sends a signal of, wait wait a second now. Because it's easy to just, and it's easy to say, okay, I, I hear your point of view, but that's not the way I'm going with my recovery. Right. But when someone says, hey, I got my recovery this way, and you're like, well, that's not our way of getting recovery, so 
go take a hike. <laughs> Delete the comment. That's yeah. a problem. So, yeah, I don't like some of their attitudes. Okay. So. That same mentality has created a problem uh, politically in a country or two here. In <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> in our world. All right. So that's all I got on the recap, unless you got anything. No, that sounds good to me. I did want to make sure I was going to tell you that we did uh, speak to one of the callers about bringing up something that he had brought up, but we addressed that with sharing the fears and, mm-hmm. and the secrets and things of that nature. So no, I think we're ready to move on to the the topic du jour. Second trimester? The second trimester. And that's only if you survive the first trimester. Which is what we've already established, the hardest trimester to survive. Right, because uh, when the woman's pregnant and I'm the nervous father, you know, I'm just like, we've got to just make it through that first trimester. That's the hardest part. Yep. That's when all the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, what's those uh, cells called that are, Going uh, hormones are hormones? doing what they need to do. Okay, uh, yeah. Um, the fetus is, you know, developing real quickly in terms of its necessary functions to then take it through its its ultimate growth spurts as it grows. So, just like the uh, addict in recovery, going through that first trimester, which we covered last week. That's now, right. I wrote something on the description. I hope everybody got it. Maybe some people didn't. Did you get it when I wrote, looking good, Billy Ray? Feeling good, Lewis? Can't say that I did. I would imagine it's from one of those old movies or old shows that you watch no, every why time. Why you got to call it old? You it's feel from, like dating from, yourself. <laughs> it's from Eddie Murphy and Dan, uh, Dan I think it's Dan Aykroyd, tra- uh, Trading Places. Oh, okay, so not too, what, what are we it's, talking, it's, 80s? It's, yeah, yeah, 80s. Yeah, okay, well. I was born in 84, all right? So. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Keep that that's, in mind. That's the last line of the movie. All right. Okay. All right. Eddie Murphy's out on the yacht. and. However, actually, a classic. I have seen the movie, so. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's the last line. So why am I writing that here? Because usually after the first trimester, you're looking good and you're feeling good. That's it, yeah. Are you ready to enter that second trimester? Ready to do some work. However, I also wrote, don't pull a ribcage muscle patting yourself on the back just because you got through the first trimester. That's right. You can give yourself a quick pat on the back. Okay. But don't hurt yourself but giving yourself a pat on the back. You're right. Don't, don't, don't pull a muscle. Okay, yeah. Okay, because there's work to be done. And now comes the work. That's right. Second trimester is where the bulk of treatment work takes place. What work, you ask? What am I working on? Well, in the first trimester, we said we wanted to get you grounded Making sure we can get you to stay. Get your head and your system clear a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Physical, residual. Me- yeah, you know, health, legal, and all that stuff. Okay? Now we start getting into the issues. Yes. Why did I use? What were some of the causal factors? What are some of the reasons why I made the decisions that I made? Now we got to get into the, the meat and the potatoes of what. how did I become what I became, an addict. Now, that's work. Yes, indeed. Because that requires the human being to do something that is extremely hard for any human being to do, which is to take an honest, gut-level look at yourself, okay, and 
bring forth what are the things, whether they be experiences that you've had, things that have been done to you, things that you've done to others, whatever they may be that have contributed to what brings you to this treatment environment. Right. And this is where a lot of people get lost. That's right. Because as hard as the first trimester is, this is a different type of hard. Because the first trimester is more external in terms of your your physical situation, you know, your external factors, you know, and so on and so forth. Right. Now we got the car in the in the mechanics in, in the bay. We got it up on the lift, looking up on what's going on, got it hooked up to the machine. Now we really want to find out what's making you tick, what has made you tick. Yeah. Okay. And it can't happen without you. So we always point towards that first, at least for us, it's the first unwritten philosophy of honesty. And the mistake that's made when often when we talk about honesty or sometimes when staff talk about honesty or when our clients look at the unwritten philosophy of honesty and how they interpret it, when what that really means is being honest with oneself. It's not whether or not you're going to tell me the truth. Right. It's not whether or not you're going to tell your peer the truth. It's being honest with yourself. Okay? And being honest with oneself is the most important aspect of the second trimester because that's going to bring forth the things that we need to discuss, talk about, flush out, resolve, accept, change how we feel about, et cetera, et cetera, and go on and on. So... We can be universal because the the issues are specific to you, the individual, okay? But the methodology is universal. You know, what has to come forth is universal, okay? How how do we get, you know, I always say it's one of the hardest things to do is as a counselor is convincing another human being that they can exist, live, without abusing drugs and alcohol. Right. Okay. So I'm trying to convince them of that, and in order to convince them of that, I say, well, how is that possible? I say, okay, well, this is what you got to do. Okay? we got to figure out what's been driving you. What's been driving this decision-making? And then at a certain point, it's no longer decision-making. Now you're addicted, and so now it's become uh, just part of your life. It's now habitual. It's just, it's embedded into your daily existence. Okay. But that part of it, we can, we can actually do something about because we can remove, you know, we can remove you out of that. Right. Yeah. Take you out of that environment, put you in a safe one. Right. And, and so it's a force you to be clear of that. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, but the internal aspect of what has driven me to make these ultimate choices you know, most people, I might say it's, it's 40, 40, and 20. So it's 40%, I think, people that have had traumatic experiences that, that are the ultimate drivers behind addiction. 40% start curiosity, peer pressure. Okay? And even the first 40% could be, the, the match could be lit 
by curiosity and peer pressure. Hey, this you know what? This makes me not even think about what happened to me when I was seven. Yeah. You know, versus you know having a nice normal childhood and you're just hanging out with your friends when you're 15. You're like, hey, what's that? You know. Yeah. Oh, wow, this feels good. You know. And then boom, there you go. All right. And then the other 20 percent, which uh, you have no damn reason, nothing you can point to. I'm not going to name any names who falls into that category. <laughs> <laughs> and you get verbally abused for, for, for even being, being in the office, <laughs> yep. being here in the first place. What the hell are you doing here yeah, anyway? <laughs> right, but that's all another conversation. Yep. Um, so as a counselor, how am I going to get this person during this second trimester to start talking? Yeah. Start being honest. Start flushing out the issues that they may have. Well, I got to make sure that the environment is 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 still safe. Yes. I got to make sure that there, there's an environment of trust. Yes. Um, I got to make sure that the person believes and feels that that is the case. It's one thing for me to say that, preach that, but. I have to have a sense that they believe that that's the case. They believe it's safe. They believe that there's an environment of trust. And then I will also tell the person, I am not saying, I will never say that you will not get your feelings hurt in a treatment setting. You will get your feelings hurt in a treatment setting. That's part of the process. Okay? Because sometimes even talking about experiences that you've had hurt your feelings. And there will be people, just like there are in society, in the treatment setting, who will use information that they get, who will use things that you share to hurt you or attempt to hurt you. But as I said before, there is freedom in the sharing. That's a, uh, that's entirely accurate. I think you hit the nail right on the head, and it was big for me as you were going through that list, almost taking the words from my brain with the safety of the environment and the trust. Mm -hmm. Because essentially what you're asking this human being to do is go completely against what your biological drive to do is in survival, is you don't want to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You can't be vulnerable because your instinct tells you you need to defend and protect yourself. That's right. And you can't, you can't be vulnerable because... That's just not biologically how we're wired. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can allow yourself to go there is if you feel safe and for whatever reason you trust the counselor or this individual or this environment mm -hmm. that you're not going to be hurt. Biologically speaking, I mean, a lot of this could come on a subconscious level, mm -hmm. but your natural instinct is to defend yourself, protect yourself, and being vulnerable is the absence of that. And so, yeah, no, that's major. You, and he, you and, called it. And here is the irony of it. The natural instinct is to do exactly what you said, protect ourselves, keep everything in. It helps keep us in control. Yeah. Okay? But the key to unlocking all of that is the exact opposite. Yeah. Right, exactly, which is what makes it so difficult. And that's where the saying comes from, it's so simple, it's hard. Yeah. The, 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 the antidote is very simple, but to exercise the antidote is very difficult. That's correct. 
it then becomes our job to somehow, I don't know, trick you, whip you, beat you, somehow into (laughs) into (laughs) exercising that antidote until you start to get a taste. A little, a little taste of. Oh, wait a second. I've shared a little bit. I'm still alive. I've survived the feelings that have come with the sharing. Right. Um. Hopefully, but we no one can ever promise this. But hopefully, the environment has supported me, reassured me, made me feel okay, safe. Okay, which then would say would spur me to okay, let me let a little bit more out. You know what I mean? Because even though it may have been, it's it's painful to share and recount experiences that were painful. There's also a an, another part of as you're sharing and recounting and purging and and you're hearing the words come out of your own mouth and just go out into the universe, there's this other thing going on. You might not be aware of it at the time. There's this almost like emotional catharsis taking place, this healing starting, okay? And I have to tell you, trust, trust that this is what's taking place. You may not feel it. You may not see it. You may not even taste it right now. But it's happening. You just got to keep going because there's going to come a point where you're going to start to taste it. You're going to start to feel it. And you're going to say, oh, wow, this is what it feels like. Yep. All these years I've been bottling this stuff up, holding on to it, got my belt turned, wrapped real tight, got my suspenders on real tight, got the double master lock, triple keys, one hidden under the car wheel, one behind the house. Everything bolted up. No one can get at it. The only one who has it is me. The only one who's it, who the only one it's been hurting is whom? Yeah, me. Me. And so now I have to find the keys, unlock this, take this down, unlock, you know, take this alarm system off, and start to let things out. And now you're getting a taste of the reward of wow. I am experiencing some relief. I am experiencing some uh, burden weight lifting because I've been carrying all of this stuff, whatever it may be. For some people, it's huge. For some people, it's small. Whether it's huge or small, that's only relatively speaking, because it may be small. So someone from the outside may look at it and say, okay, that's not a like, tremendously uh, traumatic experience. But to the person, it's yeah, like it's Mount, e- Mount, e- yeah. Mount Everest. Yep. Okay. Um. So that's what we're that's what we're trying to get you to do, work on in that second trimester. And the other thing I put in the description was about your attention must be undivided, laser focused. Now, when I was actively counseling in the treatment setting, well, this applied to anyone that anyone that was there, but. Even more so if you happen to be on my caseload, but because I knew how valuable that time was during that second trimester, which is where the bulk of the treatment took place. That's right. Right? Because you know, and we're gonna our next show obviously is gonna be on what? 
The third? The third trimester, right? And that's a whole different thing going on in the third trimester. But so the bulk of the work of treatment and getting that recovery foundation is in the second trimester. So me as a provider, a counselor, knowing that, I am have zero tolerance for time-wasting and nonsense because I know how valuable this time is. That doesn't mean I'm not, you know, in, empathetic, sympathetic, and, and caring in terms of my approach. Right. But I'm also aware of the urgency of let's we cannot waste this time, we cannot waste this opportunity. Cognizant of the fact we gotta move. We got we we gotta move. And, and if I find out you got stuff in there, I'm coming after it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I'm coming after it. You can get mad at me all you want and I'll take it all for the next two or three sure. months. Uh, yep. Because I have a different mission than you have. Drop your slips. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> that's write, right. Write my mom, whatever. That's right. But we got to get it out of you. And so with the focus being, with the you know, with the attention being undivided, the focus being laser, that is the best, presents the best uh, opportunity, the best uh, environment for for me, the client, to not be distracted or, or, or be you know, going off course and, and, and wasting my time. Because in my opinion, when you get an op- if if you've been in the life, and again, whenever I use that term, the life, I'm talking about the life of addiction, the negative life, and everything that comes with it. If you've been in the life for years, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and you are sick and tired, tired right? and ready for a change, okay, you don't know how many shots at this you're going to get. True. You can't, no one can predict in advance that you're going to get three chances at this apple. You may only get one. We know many people who've gotten one, and the reason they didn't get a second is not because they were denied an opportunity, but they died before they got that second opportunity. Yeah. So... That's a reality. Or they ended up in prison before they got that second opportunity. That's a reality. And so me being cognizant of that, I have a sense of urgency. And it's going to be one of the few times that I as a counselor should project anything onto you. I'm going to project onto you the sense of urgency. In a way, though, the way it should be projected is not hurry up and and just come with it, damn it. Right, right. No, that's not how you project the sense of urgency to get someone to start sharing. (laughs) Right. Okay? The way you project the sense of urgency is by speaking about where else but in our common ground are you going to find such a mirror? Yeah. Where else are you going to find other people that have similar experiences just like you've had that you're going to be that you can share and they can identify, empathize, sympathize, and they're not going to look at you like what's you know what's wrong with you, look down upon you, judge you, what have you, but instead you're going to get you know what I've been there, I've seen that, I've done that, that's happened to me also. Where else is that going to happen? In the federal pen? Not a chance. You watch Lock Up on Sunday nights? 
A and E or something. Yeah, I've M- seen MSNBC. It. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure where that came from, but um, the federal pen. So, where else is that going? Is that environment going to present itself where you can share, excavate all of that stuff, whatever it may be? Learn about who you are as a person, man or woman, father or mother, uncle or aunt, grandmother or grandfather. What are your shortcomings? What are your strengths? What do you need to do to work on building up shortcomings or correcting them? What are my character flaws? How can I work on those? What do I need to do to work on those? Are there people around me that I can look to to um, to lean on? Are there other role models that I can look at that can that I may not not you know talk to them, but I can watch them and see what they're doing? Are, is that available? We hope in the treatment and setting that that's available. We hope in the treatment setting that there there peers that can. You can bounce things off of, share things, intimate details, dark secrets, whatever the case may be. We hope that that's, and that's our goal, as a, that's my goal as a provider, to, to create that environment where that can take place. Because I know that that's the, I always call it the secret, but it's really not a secret, to uh, getting that recovery foundation built. Because how many times have you heard me say, Mr. Producer, don't you dare. Walk out this door, quote-unquote, finish your treatment, and you have not addressed all of the issues, or at the very least started the process, because sometimes the issue may be so deep that we can only touch the surface of it while you're in the treatment setting. And you may need to continue post-treatment, maybe with some individual therapy or what have you. Which you'll certainly be set up to do. Right. But at the very least, we want to at least get that door open. That's right. Get that door open. We don't want you walking out. Anyone should not be... Anyone. No one. No one. (laughs) (laughs) No one should be walking out. I see my English teacher walking... Wrapping your knuckles with the yardstick. Walking towards me with the yardstick. (laughs) Can you repeat what you just said, Mr. Roach? So no one should be leaving the treatment setting for good with any issue that is intricate to the reasons why they use and the decisions that they've made that weren't in their best interest without those things being either addressed, resolved, dealt with, or at the very least, the door opened on them and the process started. Yep. Yeah, that cannot be, because that is a recipe for failure. Indeed. Indeed it is. And then what we have then for the second trimester is a person who is drinking soda, eating uh Cheetos, Cheetos, and hot Cheetos, the flaming hot Cheetos, you know, the worst possible diet, you know, you can possibly imagine in the second trimester, and, you know, 
No, we can't have that. Right. Cannot have that. Is everyone going to make it out of the second trimester with everything, you know, addressed and, you know, sealed and delivered? No. No. Everyone's not even going to make it out of the treatment setting, you know, being launched on that recovery uh, flight path. Right. With everything signed, sealed, and delivered. But we got to have everything on the table. And the reason why you have to have it on the table is because I don't want you saying, you cannot say, you should not be allowed to say, you should not be afforded the opportunity to look back and say, well, I, I didn't get a chance to talk about that. No, I'm not going to give you that opportunity. It is self-help. I can't think of any treatment setting, modality, milieu, or program that, when you get down to the bare bones of it, is not self-help. I mean, I can sit in a, in a therapist's office and just not say a word. She can't put me in a headlock or he can't put me in a headlock and make me talk. Right. Right? If I don't talk, then I can't help myself. You can lead a horse to water, but you but, can't get it to drink. Oh, okay. That's the same? Yeah. Oh, okay. I.e., just what you're saying. You can provide everything that I, needs yeah, to be provided, can. but if that, if that person or that individual doesn't do what needs to be done, right. the end. You've got to meet us at a certain point, and our responsibility is setting the setting up the environment so so that this process can take place. This change can take place. And it's funny because in the second trimester a lot is happening and in the pregnancy and there's a lot happening in the recovery and the treatment process also at the same time in the second trimester. You know, cuz not only are we digging into the issues, we're also addressing our attitude you know our 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 ways our ways of thinking that we've that we've had and, and and adopted for years. So multiple things are happening. We're multitasking in terms of working on ourselves. So that's the second trimester, man. That's a busy time. It is busy, intense, a lot of work. A lot of work. A lot of work. And uh, I'm gonna be on you because I got your best interests. At heart, so I'm going to be I'm going to be on you, and I'm going to tell you up front, you're not going to like me for the next two or three months. That's right. But at the end of that three month process, or however long it lasts, it might be longer for some people. Okay, you might like me, maybe someone will like me. I don't know. I don't yeah. care. That's right. That's not the goal. That's not the that's not the goal. I want to hear some talking, some sharing, something. That's right. That's the second trimester. Now, I also wrote to close the Michigan Proving Grounds. I saw I said, that. I said, I'll explain that. I always thought the second trimester was, you know, the Michigan Proving Grounds is where the car companies, mostly GM, I think, used to take their cars to test them out before they then put them on the market to sell them to the public. Okay. It was called the Michigan Proving Grounds. And to me... The whole treatment setting is the Michigan Proving Grounds, but the second trimester is where most of the work gets done. We get to see 
is, you know, this person going to do work or they're not going to do work. And we can then kind of determine that, you know what, they're going to leave here and not address some of the core issues that we know exist. And we already know what the story is going to, how the story is going to end. Yep. Okay. High, high percentage. You know, we don't know everything. We can't predict everything because, because there are people who leave and you know what, find other help. Yep. You know what I mean? And for whatever reason, you know, the stars and, 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 and whatnot didn't align in the setting that they were in, but they found success somewhere else. That's the ultimate goal. We don't care where you get it, but while you're here, we're going to try and provide the environment for you that you can possibly do it here. That's all we care about. Yeah. So. That's right. That's what I meant by the Michigan Proven Grounds. I like the analogy. Okay. That's good. All right. Let's take a uh, quick music break. And then we'll uh, go into our recovery sport time. Get to the callers. All right. Beautiful. We do see you guys on hold. We appreciate your patience. We hope you've enjoyed the show to this point. We are going to take a quick music break, and we will get to your guys' calls right on the other side.
Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. Okay, welcome back, folks, to Roach on Recovery. 646-564-9909 is the number. Let's get right to the phones. We got Nathaniel from San Francisco has been holding a while. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Welcome. How are you? Good. Good. You know, I was listening uh, before you picked her. I got on the air, and you talked about that um, second trimester of, of recovery. And, you know, and then you said the other part about you don't care about someone liking you. Your concern is just them getting it. And, you know, it's like it made me think about, you know, maybe I'd rather not like my counselor and and get something out of it than to like my counselor and not get nothing. You know, so I'm at, I'm at a point in my uh, in my treatment, I'm at a treatment place where um, it's like, I would want to just fully disclose all of what's bothering me or and, and just be open about it, but it's like I am, like, trapped by, I don't know if it's fear or from past experiences where I've tried to and just got shot down, and it just makes me want to just want to skip over that part. You know, it's like, okay, if I can just say enough, to release enough pressure, then maybe it'll work. But mm-hmm. I, I don't want to go on maybes anymore. Um, right. And then they say, hold on till the miracle happens, or, you know, just trust me, this is going to work out right. You, you're getting, um, you know, you'll be, you'll feel better about it after you do this. And I'm, I don't have any, any real proof. Any, right. how do, what's that word they call it? Uh, uh, um, em- empirical evidence empirical of it evidence, working. Yes. Yeah, working for me in my life thus mm-hmm. far. So it's, all I see is my history, you right. know, and, I, and I'm really trying to stand up and walk out of my history. But it's like it says to me, well, you've been at this spot, or maybe I'm 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 not at the spot I was before. I feel I'm further, mm-hmm. but I am like I'm standing on shaky ground, and like I have some medical issues going on where. I want to run. I just want to run from them. Um, They'll and... follow you wherever you go. <laughs> you follow that... you wherever you go. I mean, I made that saying up, by the way. <laughs> does, it, does it make sense? You follow, yeah. You follow you wherever you go. 
<laughs> so you can't yeah. run from you. True, true. That's very true. And, you know, just having to, sometimes it seems like more than I can bear. Like I'm just about to break. And usually when I break, I break and do damage, more damage. Right. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, and I don't know if it's just fear. You know, I'm a, I'm a 55-year-old man who hasn't been able to have anything like stability, consistent stability in my life. And I just am, I'm, I'm in doubt that I'll find it. Does that sound crazy? No, no. Um, one of the important things you said was your own personal frame of reference, your history, which is what you have to go on, has not shown you that, you know, letting this go, sharing what I got to share is going to have a good outcome. Exactly. Okay. And so if so if I was your counselor, quote unquote, theoretically speaking, and, and this is the information that I have, um the only thing I can come back with is you've reached a point where because you've had you have you have a frame of reference that has has you thinking a certain way you've reached a point where I can only drop one thing on you. I can only say, Nathan, based on everything you've told me, everything you've experienced, and as you sit here before me today, the only thing that's left for you to do is have blind faith. What is the worst thing that can happen based on what has already happened, what you've already experienced? Yeah, I'm, I, I I hear you. I I fear that from my history, I just say I quit. I give. Uh, I'm I'm not going to do it. Um, so I feel then, like I, if you if if you quit and you're not going to do it, then you're not going to give yourself the opportunity to get what it is that you want. I mean, I want to. I want to be a a man that isn't so impulsive, negatively impulsive on on making decisions in his life based okay, on that, that comes with that comes with time and practice. Time and practice. Controlling the impulsive decision making. That's going to be a time and practice thing. But in terms of trusting other people and sharing. You know your life, your 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 issues, and so on and so forth. Okay, you're at a point based on what you've said that you're you're going to have to give if if you you can't give up because if you give up, then you're not going to get what you want. If I give up, I so think I'll be dead. Right. So it becomes what is more. Uh, what is more powerful, the desire to get what you want or the desire to to stay in in the safe zone that you have for yourself? I believe the desire that I I want something I've never had before is greater and the safe zone that I the safe zone that I thought was safe is is not really that safe. I mean and I I don't mean as far as like um 
uh, gaining, you know, ground. It's just like the safe. My old coping mechanisms have yeah. all stopped working, and I have right. nothing. I have nothing. I feel like I'm being forced to intrinsically find something new to hold on to that's positive. And, and I'm, I'm ready. For, I'm, I'm willing and ready for a challenge. But at times when so it, I'm, go ahead. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you then. Okay. If you're truly ready for that challenge, okay, then you have to be willing to give something up. There's no free lunch. You yeah. you will not get what you ultimately desire, what you ultimately want, without giving something up. I mean, well, like, could you give me an example of, like, what to give up? Is it, I mean, I don't... So, let's say, let's say one of the things holding you back is fear. F-E-A-R. Fear. Okay, so I'm going to say to you, and I'm going to use some raw terms and raw language. So Go ahead. Mind, watch the sensors and the airwaves there as I'm talking. I've got them loaded up. Okay. you got to take the fear that you feel, and I'll just say, stick it in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. You have to stick it in your back pocket, utter U-T-T-E-R, utter the words you have said numerous times in your life, okay, when you have decided you were just going to be give up and do impulsive things. You know what those two magical words are, right? One starts with an F, one starts with an I. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Utter those same two words, but for a positive reason, and then give it up. There's no free lunch. Put the fear in your back pocket, say, F it, and give it up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whatever it may be for that moment, that day, that week, that month. Okay. Because, you know, I feel this kind of like churning inside of me where I want to really halfway believe, well, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is honestly the time that it's, it's not about Nathaniel running. Yeah. The only time is this moment. Okay. I know that's esoteric, but it's actually true. The only time is this moment. So okay. I got to close just in the interest of time. Okay. You got to, there's no free lunch. You have to give something up in order to get what you ultimately desire. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. You have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. It's hard. Oh, yeah. But it's got to be done. Can't give up. It's got to be done. And, yeah, definitely can't give up. All right. Let's go to Eric from Oakland. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. My question has to do with medications assisting in uh, curbing the addiction or ur- urges in the early stages of addiction. Now, I know that the medical community views addiction as a chronic disease, much like heart disease, diabetes, um, COPD, what have you. And so when you get those other diseases, they 
administer you medication, be it antibiotics or whatever, to combat did you say that. Restless le- Wait a second. Did you say restless leg syndrome? I did not say restless leg syndrome. Okay. All right. <laughs> Diabetes? Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. Go ahead. And so how come medications aren't more commonly prescribed to people in early addiction, and are there a variety of medications that that people can use to help combat the uh, initial stages or the first trimester of addiction or recovery, as you call it? I can, before the host answers, I can give you just a little bit of insight as far as the correlation between addiction and the medical society or how it's defined in, in medical terms. Uh-huh. So it's actually not just solely listed as a chronic illness, a chronic illness. It's listed as a progressive chronic terminal illness. So okay. similar to some of the diseases you were describing even up to and including cancer, the caveat or the key to this is in the medical uh world that definition comes with an asterisk. And it is okay. out of all of the diseases that follow or fall into that classification, states that it is the only one of them that can be arrested one day at a time by choice. So, i.e., somebody who has cancer can't make a choice to not have cancer. They have cancer, and that is what it is. So mm-hmm. although addiction falls under that same category or classification, I guess is a better term, that does come with the... Uh, the the definition of it being kind of unique in its group in that it can be arrested one day at a time by human choice. So that may be a part of it. And there are also actually um, a good number of medications out there for certain addictions that people are dealing with to help with that. But I just wanted to throw that out just to kind of clarify how it's defined medically to give a little foundation for whatever the host may throw at you now. About your restless leg syndrome. (laughs) I I will not add anything and ruin that beautiful answer. Okay. Now, I know that there's Suboxone and Naltrexone. Are those for heroin addiction? Yeah, most of the the medication that they're working on is to deal with opiate-based addiction. Okay. And and there's also... I'm sorry to cut you off, and there are also some medications out there um, that are being worked on for alcoholism as well. I yeah. just want to throw that out there. They trust now, me. The they're, they're working. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. They're certainly working on stuff. There's nothing. There is nothing more that the pharmaceutical companies would love to be able to do is to find the pill that would help. You know, that would help. Trust me. They're working on it. Okay. So there's nothing that's out there to, I don't want to say get rid of your addiction, but help in the initial stages of, say, amphetamine addiction um, to help I curb will, those I, urges or those that desire to, to to leave treatment and go pick up a drug. I personally have not heard of anything in, for uh, in, amphetamine. I've heard, you know, early trials, early um um, manu- you know, uh, studies, but it's all either alcohol or opiate-based. Um, they okay. have done some stuff on cocaine, um, but trust me, they're working on something for methamphetamine because, I mean, that's at the top of the list of drugs of abuse. 
It's okay. just not there yet. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your uh, your help through this. And um, and we and, yeah, and we hope evening. your restless, we hope your restless leg syndrome improves. Yeah, me too. All right. Thank you. All right, sir. Bye bye. So yeah, I mean alcohol and uh, the opiate-based are really where most of the research has gone into. Years ago, I heard uh, some stuff that for cocaine, um, but it, how successful it is, I, I, I maybe the fact that we haven't heard, you know, more, and, and you know the success of it may not be that great. And, right, and it's mostly. Aimed at curing the cra- no dealing with the cravings. Mm-hmm. It's like he, one of the things he mentioned is not like make make help me stay in treatment. You know they haven't invented anything for that yet. Right, and there and there's also some dilemma, for lack of a better term, or or thought process that the thinking is what really would be the difference between replacing. Okay, so I'm addicted to this drug. You have a drug for me that will have me no longer feel like I want this drug or be addicted to this drug, but now I'm addicted to what you've got for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, the, of course, the the conspiracy theorists and the politics, and as you uh, gently touched on the pharmaceutical company <laughs> and the amount of money to gain, um, all comes into the picture with that as well, and ethics and things of that nature. That's so, right. Um, I don't think you should mention pharmaceutical companies and ethics in the same sentence. Do they have an ethics department in those pharmaceutical companies? <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, Michael from Alameda. Michael, welcome. Yes, I did. thank you. Um, I really don't have much of a big question, important question and stuff, but everything's important, I guess, when it comes to my recovery. It's just um, I'm six months clean and everything, and I still feel like using um, in a program, and then I'll be having these using dreams, then I wake up, feel like I actually used, and I just feel guilty that, you know, I feel like I was high. Michael? Yes. Every single person has experienced that, that has used drugs, been addicted to drugs, has had those dreams. Do they ever end or? Oh, yes. Now, you said you've been clean for six months. Yes. And did I hear you correctly that you say you still feel like using? Yes. Why do you still feel like using? I'm not quite sure. Um, it could probably be, I have a feeling that maybe my depression is the mental health and stuff is kicking in. And I'm going through all these, these three past three months are it's been kind of hard because I have one kid's birthday and then I have my son's birthday. And then I have a court hearing for my custody battle and it's just getting really to me. Okay, And Michael. I'm so used to when things get hard, I just run to alcohol you have entered the second trimester. Okay. That's right, the second trimester. When the work starts, when things get tough, you start dealing with the issues and, and, and the realities. 
So the feeling or the thought, I don't know, only you know, but they're two different things. The feeling of still wanting to use, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Okay. When you feel like using, okay, you have to ask yourself, and you've mentioned some of it already, so you're halfway there, what is it that I am looking to avoid, escape, not deal with, and medicate myself from? What is it? And you have to honestly look within and honestly answer okay. for it to actually work, the exercise. Right. And you've already named some of these things, these stressors or triggers that are, like, coming upon you right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I and so it. your instinct, I don't know how long you use drugs, but let's just say you used long enough. Your instinct when these stressors come is to, well, let me medicate. And one of the goals of treatment is to turn that, flip that instinct. So it's not let me medicate, it's let me turn and let's let's deal with, let's deal with this, let's deal with this, let's deal with this, let's deal with this. So it's not the instinct to run, escape, and medicate, but to deal let me face this. What's this? What do I need to do here? How am I going to solve this, resolve this? Or maybe I can't solve and resolve it. I just have to accept whatever it is. But we're not going to run to the, to, to the drug to medicate our feelings. We're going to talk about what we are experiencing. All right. Very helpful. I'm going to take that to heart and work on that. Good stuff. All right, thank you. Thank you. I feel better now. All right, yeah, good. Have a good one. All right, bye-bye. Another Michael. Sorry, we got the Michael lighting up the phone lines. Michael from San Mateo, welcome. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, my question would be, uh, I've heard around the rooms at NA and AA, and the, I've heard, you know, there's a lot of little scenes that people talk about, but I want to know a little bit more about the principal, pal, princip, person, principalities, personalities, princip, can you help me out with that, gentlemen? Principles versus personalities, before. or before yes. personalities. That's it. I would like to know a little bit more in so depth. Like just so I can understand your question. So this is a saying in AARNA. You've heard them say this, that uh, to put principles before personalities, this is something that they say in AARNA? Yes, absolutely correct. And then I've I've done a couple group sessions in a, in a um, treatment facility, and they um, brought it up and said, you know, in, in regards to something I had remarked on. So, I mean, I got confused by it after that point. So, so what is the question that you have for us? Um, what does it mean, the actual person, principle person, before personality? principles before personalities? Yeah. Um, you know what? So I am not familiar with this this phrase or this idiom or whatever it is that they say here in A or NA, but I'll take your word for it that did, this is Did you just call there. him an idiot? No, <laughs> absolutely not. 
Absolutely not, Michael. Ignore the host on that one. That's absolutely asinine what he's saying. But um, <laughs> if I have to break this down just as it states in front of me, uh, it sounds like what this person is trying to explain in this saying is that what you stand for um, or what you believe in, your your principles essentially are more important than uh, um, what – your personality uh that you know to be honest with you i i am in the same boat i'm not exactly clear as to what it means just because i've never actually heard it used in the context that they might use it in aa or na um, because okay. i do believe that personality is an important as well the way you come across to other folks and the way you present yourself but maybe i guess maybe one way of looking at it metaphorically would be like so your personality is kind of on the outside, what you present to people, which may be okay. genuine or maybe fake in our addiction, but principles are on the inside and they're kind of the cornerstone of who you are. So maybe what is on the inside or what you believe on the inside is more important than the image you portray to the world. Yeah, I like that. That's, that makes more sense than, than just hearing the statement. Sure. That, that, yeah. that sounds good to me. Yeah, I can. Same way I would interpret it. That's my best guess. And I really do do enjoy the show. I'd like to know, is it on AM radio or is it only Internet? Uh, Right now it's only... uh... (laughs) Right now it's only on the Internet, but AM coming soon, hopefully, if we can find the sponsors out there for us. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much. And um, I'm going to listen further, so I would like to hear a little bit more what people are, what's going on in their minds today about their addiction. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, bye-bye. Uh, how are we on time? We're good. We got about mm, three minutes or so before we hit them with the close. All right, should we go to the X-Files? We can pull out one of the X-Files. We cut you off last week, so let's pull one out. Uh, okay, we got Beth from Pacifica. Why is it so hard to break bad habits that do not benefit our lives? Million dollar question right there. Yeah, another <laughs> million dollar idea. We can figure that one out. That's it. Because it's hard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the answer. Right. But in terms of the treatment context, uh, it's part of the reason why long term treatment was developed. The long term treatment setting was so that you would have an, the Michigan Proven Grounds to practice another way of being. And it'd be repetitive so that it would break the bad the habits. Old and then the new becomes second nature. Exactly. Yeah. So replacing the habit, so to speak. Yes. Uh another one from the X Files. It's from Leonard. Did we talk to Leonard today? No. No, sir. Uh being faced with challenging decisions, I seem to have poor impulse control. That's the theme. Yeah. What would you suggest I do to improve on decision making skills? Well, other than the tried and true cure that my mother maybe she invented it, I doubt it, of counting through ten before you do anything or say anything that you might regret. Uh it's again one of the reasons of the treatment setting being a longer term, you get an opportunity to practice controlling that impulse. 
And usually treatment settings are set up in a way to delay the, that those impulses. And you get used to uh, having to wait and having to wait before you, you know, speak or before you act and so on and so forth is to slow that process down. And when we when we had our show about, um, I think it was what's the feeling, and we were talking about the you know the brain versus the gut and which one is that's in, right. which one's in control. And when it comes to the impulse, no more often than not, it's the gut wanting to react. That's right. And the brain has to boom come into play and say, slow your roll. Logic. Slow your roll. Yeah. Let's think this out. What's the lay of the land here? And then make a decision accordingly. But that takes time, practice, etc. It doesn't flip overnight. That's right. So, uh, you want to go to Mike? We got time for Mike from Fresno. We got like ninety seconds. If Mike can do it, moving. All right, Mike. We only got ninety seconds. Go. How can we help you, sir? Yeah, um, I'm in a program right now, and my girlfriend's still out there using. I've known her for a long time, and I feel like. I don't want to abandon her when I leave here, but I also don't want to put myself around that situation. Uh, what do you suggest I would do for that? It's all about you, Mike. Do you all think, about do you, think, you. I, I totally agree. Do you think that um, maybe limiting my time with her would kind of be safe to do, or is that still like playing with fire or should I just uh, completely cut her off or just kind of be there from a distance uh, I would I would be there from a distance right. don't let your heart don't let your heart pull you down okay? right the other person has to get in you know they, the other person has to help themselves you can be there from a distance trying to you know nudge and urge but don't let your heart pull you down. Right. It's tough. It's tough. It's hard. But you know what? The, the the mother bird kicks the little bird out of the nest sometimes, and it might seem harsh, but it's something that's needed. That makes sense. Okay. All right. All right, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. All right. Are we good? We're good. We're going to we're going to close it up. So we would like to thank everybody again who is supporting us, listening, callers. Uh we really do appreciate all of the support and we are happy to help wherever we can. Uh we'd like to wish everybody a safe week and a great weekend and we hope to hear from you all and have you all listening next week. Third trimester.
our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.